Christ made peace through the blood of His cross, Colossians 1.20. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more than having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. If God gave His Son while we were enemies, what more will He do for what He do for you? He who did not spare His own Son, Romans 8 says, how will He not freely with you give Him anything, everything you need? He will. He gave His Son for you. He'll surely keep you. Oh, the security of it. I say bask in it. Enjoy it. Rejoice in it. Exult in your security. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study in the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part five of the message titled, The Permanence of Justification. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Take your Bible, turn to Romans chapter five. It's a tremendous, tremendous passage of scripture. Uh, Even as this whole book has been so used of God in my life and I trust in yours, And we want to look at Romans 5. It's on page 125 in the Pew Bible. Three great uh, guarantees of justification by faith. Guarantees of the permanence of justification. I want to just give you a broad over over, uh, sweep, you might say, of chapter 5 before we get into our text because it's good to see the big picture. And there are three great guarantees of the permanence of justification in Romans 5. First of all, We are justified by faith, and faith will never be destroyed by troubles and trials. It will be strengthened, verses 1 through 5. We've looked at them. Faith will not be destroyed in times of trouble. It will be strengthened. Second guarantee of the permanence of our salvation, the love of God, verses 6 through 11. And then the third one, the analogy or the parallel between Adam and Christ. Adam's sin brought condemnation to the race. All born into Adam die. Christ's one act at the cross brought life to all born into Christ. And we're going to enjoy that portion of the book or of the chapter, verses 12 through 21. So those are the three guarantees. Last time uh, we looked, and I just want to remind you of the great uh, truth that we've looked at. Look at verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we've obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. Past, present, and future aspects of this justification that Christ accomplished. In the past, verse 1, we have been justified. This is not a process. Justification, you either are justified or you aren't. There are no degrees of justification. God declares every believer righteous. Having been justified... We have, presently, now, peace with God. We stand, look at verse 2, we stand in His grace. We stand presently in God's favor 
And in the future, look at the end of verse 2, we exult in hope of the glory of God. What a hope we have as Christians. But in the meantime, we stand in His favor. Everything that comes our way, we can exult in, we can rejoice in. In fact, we should. Even troubles. Verse 3. Not only this, we also exult in our tribulation. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. We have God's guarantee on it that right now, standing in His favor as Christians, everything He allows to come into our life, even the troubles, especially the troubles, He produces perseverance through that trouble. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And we're not talking about a flimsy kind of I hope kind of a thing. Hope in the New Testament is rock solid. Hope does not disappoint. This hope, it doesn't disappoint. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, Hebrews 6 says. A hope both sure and steadfast where Jesus is entered as a forerunner for us. Jesus Christ is our hope, and He's an absolute anchor. I mean, we're used to everything changing, aren't we? And we're used to things never being quite the same and never being completely dependable. We went down, you know, we for the last couple of years, we've had our dune down at the beach. You know, the kids say, can we go to our dune? Yeah, we hike over to the dunes, and there was this one little place we really liked, our dune. And had a log on it last year, in fact, for several years. And so the kids carved their names in the log. And so we went down to our dune, and it was gone. <laughs> Just wasn't there. We looked for the log, it wasn't there. And uh, things change in this world. But Jesus Christ is a rock. He's an anchor. An anchor of our souls. A rock, an anchor, both sure and steadfast. This hope, he says in Jesus Christ does not disappoint. I'll tell you, it is great to know that. And someone says, well, how can you be so sure? How can you Christians speak with certainty even in the midst of trouble? How can you speak with such certainty? How can we know for sure? Look at the middle of verse 5. Because, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. How is it that we can know for sure that God is at work in our life even when things aren't going our way? Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts by His Holy Spirit who was given to us. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts. We've become conscious of God's love for us. We're aware now that God is for us. Who can be against us? He loves us. Now, notice, and, and I don't want you to miss this, this is uh, just the second mention of the Holy Spirit in the book of Romans. I mean in the argument of Romans, starting at verse 18. He's mentioned in the, in the kind of the greetings. But the only other times he's mentioned in chapter 2, almost in passing, this is really the first mention, I, I guess I'll say second, of the Holy Spirit. It is the first mention in Romans, this great explanation of the gospel of love. Look at that. 
The love of God has been poured out within our hearts. And he's not talking about the objective love, what God did for us. He's speaking of the subjective experience of that love. The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Now, he's going to get to the objective love very quickly, verses 6 through 11, one of the best statements in all of Scripture on how God demonstrated that love. But the first mention of the love is the love that God, the Holy Spirit, has poured out within our hearts. You see, when you come to Christ by faith and are justified, His Holy Spirit immediately begins to open up your eyes and work in your heart, and you realize that God loves you, even as a sinner, that no matter what you have been or have done, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And you'd maybe heard it many times, or maybe you'd never heard it, but when you first believed it, when you first really heard it and believed, the Holy Spirit begins that work in your life, And he opens your eyes to the great truth that God loves you. Now, somebody says, well, how? Well, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. And I mentioned earlier that Romans 5 and Romans 8 are very parallel, and you'll see a lot of parallel truths. And this whole section, what he's saying in chapter 5, will be nailed down uh, throughout 6, 7, and finally, particularly 8. Chapter 8 of Romans, just uh, so oftentimes the parallel text will be in Romans 8, and I just quoted verse 16 of Romans 8. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You remember that day when you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and you realized you were a child of God? How did you know that? Because God's Holy Spirit told you. That's how. Now, he might have used a human voice. He might have used and usually does the Scripture. You realize that whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. And the love of God was poured out within your heart. You realized he loves me. He loves me. Now, don't miss, uh, look at verse 5 again. Through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The Holy Spirit is given to every believer at the point of salvation. The Holy Spirit isn't just for some believers. You know, you come to Christ and then you bounce along and then you get the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes taught that way. Not in the New Testament. Now, the moment you believe in God's Son, God's Spirit takes up residency in your life. He says in Romans 8, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Him. So every, every believer receives the Holy Spirit at the point of salvation. In fact, Ephesians 1.14 says He is given as a pledge, as a down payment. He uses an economic term. He is given as, a, as a, an earnest money, a down payment on the great truth that He's going to finish what He started in our lives. And so the Holy Spirit takes up residency in our lives, and immediately, look at verse 5, immediately He begins to bring assurance in the believer's heart. The love of God is poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. He takes the things of Christ and He opens them up for us. Jesus put it this way. When He was speaking to the disciples, He said, He, speaking about the Holy Spirit, because He said He's coming. If you knew, if you really understood that, He said, you'd rejoice because I'm leaving. If I don't go, He won't come. But when I go, He'll come. 
And he shall glorify me, John 16, 14. He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and disclose it to you, open it up for you. The Holy Spirit takes the things of Christ and opens them up. Maybe you heard, some of you heard for years that God so loved the world that he sent his son to die on the cross. You'd maybe recited it in a liturgy. Maybe you'd memorized Bible verses, but one day it became real. The Holy Spirit is the one who does that. He opens up blinded eyes. Some of you had never heard. And you heard and you believed. What a blessing to hear the gospel and believe it. That's of God. Maybe today you're just hearing it. Maybe you've heard it all your life and you're just now hearing it as I tell you. God loved you, sent his son for you. And the Holy Spirit takes these truths and opens them up. And maybe right now he's working on your heart and opening it, opening your eyes, so to speak. You say, well, how does he do it? Well, he takes the scripture, the truth that God spelled out regarding these things, and opens them up. For instance, look at verse 6 and following. He says, the love of God has been poured out, and then the love of God becomes his topic. And now watch, because the Holy Spirit can now take the objective love of God and open it up for us in our hearts. Verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You want to know about the love of God? Here's the objective truth of it right here. The Holy Spirit wrote it down for us. And I pray that he'll open our minds and our hearts so that we'll see his love for us. And he begins uh, by explaining who we were and what we were when his love for us was initiated. Look at it, verse 6. While we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, Christ died for what? Sinners. Verse 10, enemies, helpless, ungodly, sinners, enemies. What a description. That's what we were. That's what we were, helpless. No ability to help God out. We were helpless. You see the, the tragic uh, earthquake victims... In fact, when we learned about it, was just turning the television on, and there was a scene of this corpse right there, just in full color. And then we began to realize what they were showing and the magnitude of what had happened. But uh, even some of the living victims, completely helpless to do anything, just barely able to moan, if that, and unable to do anything about their condition. 
And the scripture teaches that that's where we were. In fact, the Bible says we were dead in our transgressions and the uncircumcision of our flesh. We were absolutely dead, spiritually helpless. And he doesn't leave it there. He says, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. No inclination toward God. That's what we were. Oh, we might have talked about God. We might have acted like we had inclination toward God. But the Bible says that we were helpless and ungodly. Sinners, verse 8. By nature, by habit, by practice, sinners. And look at verse 10. If while we were enemies, hostile rebels, that's who Christ died for. That's who Christ died for. And that's the measure of God's love for you and me. He died for us when we were helpless, ungodly sinners, rebels, enemies of his. Now, in human terms, look at verse 7. One will hardly die for a righteous man. People don't usually die for the upright, cold, upright type person, the one who maybe elicits respect. They might, you know, perhaps for a good man, the one who elicits warmth and love, someone might lay down his life, but even that. But God, he didn't lay his life down for a good person. He didn't lay his life down for a righteous, upright person. He laid his life down for sinners. Verse 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were anything but righteous or good or lovable, he died for us. That's the measure of God's love. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. For God so loved the world that he gave. You want to know about God's love? It isn't just spoken of, he acted on it. He demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And I'll tell you something. When Jesus Christ laid his life down for you and for me, we were anything but friends. We were enemies of his. If while we were enemies, he says, verse 10, he doesn't leave it, uh, he doesn't leave it to, to guesswork here as he explains the love of God. And the Holy Spirit overwhelms us with un the understanding of this. The more, that's why the Christian life is always cross-centered. And that's why you don't go beyond the cross. You don't, uh, oh yeah, I know that, I know that. No, the believer loves to hear once again of the cross of Christ because the Holy Spirit delights in opening up the love of God made known at Calvary in the gift of His Son. Who can, who can measure the width and the breadth and the height and the depth of the love of God? That's what Paul prays about in Ephesians. And he says, it's just unknowable. We might know it, but it's unknowable, the surpassing riches of his love for us. Now, verse 9, notice he, uh, he gives the argument. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Now, here's the real argument. He says, listen, if God loved us, while we were helpless and ungodly and sinners and enemies, much more 
now that we're reconciled. And he uses this term, look at verse 9, much more. He uses it in verse 10. He's going to use it in verse 15, verse 17, do four times in Romans 5. He uses this term much more. If God loved us then, much more now that we're his children. God did the hardest thing. He will do the easier thing. You see what I mean? God sent his son to save us in our sin. He justified us. He will get us safely home. He has done the harder thing, justification. He will do the easier thing, glorification. I mean, uh, look at verse 9 and, and let every... I mean, you know, in one sense, you, you, a person ought to read, memorize. Memorize this portion. But let me encourage you to read it and then read it again and then pray and ask God to open it up for me and kind of stop and pause over every phrase because... He's laying out the great truth of the security of our justification, the permanence of it. And he says, verse 9, much more than having now been justified by His blood. You weren't redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, First Peter writes. Peter writes in First Peter, I think it's verse 18. Or I think of what Paul said in Acts 20, verse 28, when he talked to the Ephesian Christians and he said, listen, you watch over the church of God, the people of God, the flock of God, which he purchased with His own blood. Do you think God is going to invest the blood of His Son in you and then just let you trail off and wander off over here and get lost somewhere? Oh, no. He paid for you with His blood. In Him we have redemption through His blood. Ephesians 1.7 Christ made peace through the blood of His cross. Colossians 1.20 Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more than having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. If God gave His Son while we were enemies, what more will He do for, won't He do for you? He who did not spare His own Son, Romans 8 says, how will He not freely with you give Him anything, everything you need? He will. He gave His Son for you. He'll surely keep you. Oh, the security of it. I say bask in it. Enjoy it. Rejoice in it. Exult in your security. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, The Permanence of Justification, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us for our live online Sunday worship service at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. 
You can find us live on YouTube by searching for SW Bible Live or go to swbible.org and click on Live Stream. We also broadcast the service live on the radio on True Talk 800 AM. It's best to check the 800 AM program guide for up-to-the-minute schedule adjustments. We're continuing to see new growth in the Romans Project on the continent of Africa. Recently, we've added the countries of Guinea, Mali, Togo, and Ivory Coast to the ever-expanding outreach of the project. We'd like to invite you to learn more about this ministry or become a partner with us as we minister to pastors and church leaders throughout Africa. Just navigate over to RomansProject.org or connect with us at Facebook.com slash RomansProject. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. No matter what comes your way as a Christian, God will purify your faith. He's gone through that. But it's interesting to note, too, that from here on in Romans, and you can glance over and check this out, you won't find the word faith until chapter 9, verse 30. He's done talking about faith now. He's used the word faith 25 times up to now. This is the great epistle of justification by faith. But now he quits talking about faith because, you see, ultimately, and now listen to me carefully, we're not justified by our faith. We're justified by the object of our faith. And he's after this great truth that the guarantee of the permanence of your justification is not in you, it's in God. God's love for you. That's why I say these three great guarantees in this chapter are good to just mull over and let them get a hold of you. God's great love is the guarantee of the permanence of our salvation. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part six of the message titled, The Permanence of Justification. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. 